This is the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens. And I'm Chris Lambert. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're so glad you're joining us today, and we hope that as you set aside this time for God, that He will help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. And today we're talking again with Chris Hewartz. Chris has spent his entire life bearing witness to the possibility of hope in a world that has legitimate reasons to question God's goodness. He's originally from Omaha, Nebraska, and he studied at Asbury University in Kentucky before moving to India where he was mentored by Mother Teresa for three years. While living in India, he helped launch South Asia's first pediatric AIDS care home, creating a safe haven for children impacted by the global pandemic. A forerunner in the New Friar movement, Chris and his wife Felina served with the Word Made Flesh community for nearly 20 years, working for women and children victimized by human traffickers in the commercial sex industry. His vocation has taken him to over 70 countries, working among the most vulnerable of the world's poor. And in 2012, Felina and Chris launched Gravity, a center for contemplative activism. One of the things I love about the Enneagram is how it has incorporated modern psychology into this hundreds or thousands of year old tool that helps us with our spiritual growth. And that's where we get the Enneagram of personality. And on this chapter, we talk about how our childhood wounds were really born out of who we were created to be. Because as we talked about on past chapters, we were created with a purpose. And Chris helps clarify this a little bit when we talk about we're born a type. And I think it's very helpful because it blows away the whole nature versus nurture argument. In some ways, it becomes a false dichotomy when looking at it through these lenses. And so understanding and discovering what our childhood wounds are becomes a very helpful part of learning our Enneagram type so that ultimately we can begin to walk in our purpose and discover ways to walk with God in our everyday life. So maybe you could talk about that a little bit, um, because you mentioned childhood wounds, and that's a really big part of your book and into discovering um, the Enneagram. So I guess actually I should start with, is that a unique approach um, to you is to look at the childhood wounds, or is that a practice that happens in most Enneagram uh, uh, methodologies? Because as you explain in the book, the Enneagram is thousands of years old, and uh, it comes from many traditions. So is that a fairly recent addition, yeah. I guess? So, so yeah, so to sort of clear up a few of those, the fuzzy edges around those, because those are both really important um, sort of questions. And, and I think you're really pressing into some things that we really do need better and clearer work done in, in the, in the, in the space out there. First of all, you're, you're right. This, this teaching potentially is thousands and thousands of years old. However, the Enneagram of personality where you actually see human character structure mapped around the circle is, is relatively young, just about 40 or 45 years old. So this is maybe one of the newest overlays or one of the newest things that's coming out of, yes, an, an ancient tradition. So when you hear people say that the Enneagram is this ancient personality profile system, that, that's actually an inaccurate. The personality aspect really was, was developed by um, Claudio Naranjo, a Chilean Gestalt psychoanalyst in the early 1970s. Now, 
when you take the so-called childhood wounds into this, I, I actually don't know anybody out there who, who sort of introduces type through um, a narrating of our imperfect early holding environments. Um, so I do think that's one of the, the distinctives when I, I, I write and, and, and facilitate workshops. Because what I, I, I think is important here is, is, is your Enneagram type actually shows you the story of, 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 of where you came from, why your soul was purposed or, or destined, or, or why we need to all realign with the gift of our essence. And, and you see what happens at a certain point in our, in our infancy or early childhood development is we lose contact with that essence, that gift, that purposed reason for, for being. And in losing contact with it, which is beautifully human, there, there's nothing wrong with it. It's the inevitability of, of every every child to be, in a sense, sort of woken up into the pain of our human condition. We, we look to ascribe meaning to that disconnect. We look to blame that, that for find a cause of blame for that, that pain. And, and that's where I think we began to see uh, a description of these so-called childhood wounds. But I'm going to say this, I, I, I don't think they're real wounds. I, I don't think they're real trauma. I don't think trauma or wounding creates type. I, I think fundamentally we're, we're born purposed when we lose contact with that essence or we're disconnected from that purpose, then yes, like it, there is a wound, there is a jarring, there is a sense of pain or loss. But it's more confirmation bias of what's been lost than it is loss creating type. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So it's, so it's more like our types perceive the events around us in a certain way. And so certain types will interpret certain events as certain kinds of wounds. Like if I remember reading in, in that portion of your book, it was more about uh, like one of the types typically would have uh more issues with their, their father. Um, would that be that those certain types tend to experience the world in that way? And that causes a quote unquote wound or is it something else? So, yeah. So, so what I've tried to do is I've tried to take some of the, the traditional so-called childhood wounds and, you, you see this in the very first book that was published in English, um, by a couple priests, um, and um, and a nun that was in in 1984. You, I, I like the sort of rendering of the so-called childhood wounds from the Enya app, and I think the folks that did that were were really great at what they did. Um, but I also like what the Enneagram Institute has done with object relations theory as an overlay um, to type, and I think what they essentially are getting at, and and they call those um, sort of readings of of these object relations theory in relation to type, the dominant affect groups. I, I've taken a handful of other sort of traditions and, 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 and snapshots of these, and I've actually tried to, to re-narrate them into story. And, and like I said, the story of where we, where we came from, how we got lost, and, and what we're doing either to stay stuck or to get home. So when you look at how we related to a protective and or a nurturing caregiver when you look at what it is that's lost and then when you look at um and, and this might be getting sort of in the weeds here but sort of the jumbling of our instinctual drives and how these all fuse together 
what starts to happen is we fixate and we fixate around a loss. We fixate uh, around um, sort of a fear. And, and then that begins to sort of be built out or tricked out as type. And, and I'm not saying this as if we're sort of destined to, to suffer in, in a way that, that we can't help or that we don't have sort of power over. But I'm saying it's, it, it really is a compassionate sketch of we're suffering the gift of our humanity. And at a certain point, we either become really the, the, the chief source of the prolongment of that suffering, or, or we can actually begin to loosen um, the grip that the suffering has on us and, and relax back into our essence. And, and, and for us to be able to do that, though, means that we have to actually know what it is that we're contending with. It means that we have to know what it is that we've lost, and it means we have to know what sort of the fasteners of these masks are that we've hidden our essence behind. And so, uh, so it is deliberate work and it is, it does take a lot of intentional sort of growing in self-awareness and, and it does take a sense of humor, uh, because if you don't bring that into this, you're, you're going to beat yourself up pretty hard. Um, but it's also compassionate work and, and, and I think it's the urgent, most urgent work that, that, that most of us will, will give our lives to or say yes to. Yeah. And, and I think it is freeing. Like I, I like the journey that you just took us on because um, it, it's true. It's, if first you start reading through the types and you're kind of like, oh well, I mean that's kind of me or that's kind of me, and you start sort of figuring out. You know, you have a little bit of an intuition um, towards what your type might be. Although I love your what you say about you need to really explore the enneagram with somebody else, right? You, you, you I think tests you pointed out tests can be helpful, but you really need to discover this with somebody who can really help you walk uh, through the journey, but then being careful not to type each other. When I first introduced this to Josh, I was really careful. And I, I did, I quoted you. I said, he says not to tell you what type you are. Cause so I'm not going to do that. And I'm just going to introduce it to you. And then if, if you, if you're interested in this topic, you can, you can look it up. And so that we kind of have, uh, have gone on this journey together. But if you're able to push back, push um, through that fear of oh maybe I'm injured or I'm I'm a wounded person in some way it actually becomes very freeing to own your type because like you said you can number one start loving yourself if if you can see that maybe there's some fundamental wound there you also see that there's some fundamental purpose there as well and at least for me it helped me uh yeah I'm a one, so <laughs> it helped me at least give myself permission. We'll get to this. I'm jumping way ahead to the end of the book. Give myself permission to just simply be and allow myself to be with God in, in His presence, and I don't have to like strive or do anything to try to, to, to earn that. So it allowed me to push through that and find freedom on the other side of it. And so I wanted to ask you, that's why I brought up the whole childhood wounds thing, Going back to your story, did you find that same sense of of freedom once you recognized, oh, that is what my childhood wound is, and this is how I can get past it? What was that journey like? Yeah, so, um, so it's so, so I hate to sort of split hairs here, but so my my enneagram type is I'm dominant in type eight, and 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 one of the renderings of 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 how I experienced 
the loss of contact with my essence from my type has to do with a, a rejecting of the nurturing energy of a caregiver. And in the rejecting of that nurturing, I type eights, little type eights, double down on an inner protective stance. And that inner protective stance is one way that they compensate with part of their childhood or innocence um, where they seemed or felt like they had to grow up too quickly. Now, if I look back on my childhood, look, I, my parents were, were amazing. Um, they've, they've stayed together. Um, I, I didn't experience any real trauma. Um, I, I had a very happy, um, safe and, 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 and beautiful sort of childhood. So, so on one hand, I can't, I can't say this was a real wound, right? This was the confirmation bias of, of what I felt was lost. But if, you know, I'm, I'm born my type, which I believe, I'm sorry, let, sorry, let me be really clear here. I, I, I sometimes say we're born our type and what I, truly mean is we're born our essence, we lose contact with this essence, type develops up around that loss of contact with essence to cope with that pain of loss. Well, as, and, and we don't have the, the psychological sophistication or nuance to accurately read what's happening. So in that experience of, 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 of losing contact with essence, folks who are eights, like I said, have to take control. They have to step into their sense of power as, as a way of maintaining um, their their notion of what it is to be alive. Well, if if control is is one of the unhealthy relationships that that eights struggle with and, and needing to be in control, then when this nurturing caregiver comes at you with their heart forward and, and you don't know what to do with that, you don't understand how to, how to relate to your own feelings, it feels smothering, or it may seem manipulative, or it might feel like too much. And so there's a resisting, resisting against it, and, and there's a rejecting of it. Now, the truth is, is if there's a real wound and all that, it, it's probably the wound my mother experienced from her little baby, two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, not wanting to be nurtured, not wanting to be cared for, not wanting to be loved. But you see, if, if I had this fundamental need to be in control even as a child and I couldn't be in control because I felt like I couldn't understand emotional support and nurturing love, then it was just this tragic accident of missing each other. And you see, when you start to get a clear reading then on these so-called childhood wounds as, as, as less wounding and more confirmation and bias of what's lost, actually what I think happens in the Enneagram is you begin to heal broken relationships with a parent or caregiver. It actually helps you look back with accuracy and clarity and truthfulness to say, hey, you didn't do this to me and this wasn't your fault. Like, It's just the, 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 the painful, honest gift of becoming human. That just because you work hard doesn't mean you're gonna get rewarded. Just because you tell the truth doesn't mean um, you're, you're the best kid in line. Like. Life isn't fair, and and, and and little kids even have to, to, to contend with that and make sense with that. We just don't know how to, right? So we rewrite and re-narrate. Yeah. No, I, and I think that's such an important lesson because um, I, I can completely relate in that my parents, I didn't feel that my parents were overly authoritarian as, again, somebody who thinks that uh, I believe I'm a one. I should really say that. and. Um, <clears throat> But I sort of had this confirmation bias that this probably no matter what my parents did, I was always going to interpret their 
guidance, genuine guidance to help me along the path as being overly critical towards me. And so, um, again, so yeah, I think it's very freeing once you sort of figure that out, you could at least see it. It's helped me at least see it objectively. So then like, like right now, if Josh is saying something like, you know, something real benign, he could tell me, Hey, Chris, maybe you should work on that. And I have a tendency to maybe just take that to heart of, you know, oh, like Josh is really calling me out. I'm doing something really terrible here. Which we've had those experiences before. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And um, at least having this awareness of my type and and how I I grow and and, and sort of my uh, created purpose in nature, I can take it and respond to it completely differently, which, again, I think is very, very freeing. Right. So let's, so if you, if you want, we could even break down type one in this story to maybe make that as a, as an illustration to to sort of show how practical this can be. So if you're dominant in type one, this is sometimes called the reformer or the perfectionist. Um, These folks are, are sometimes said to have this need to be perfect. And the basic fear here for, for the one is that they are somehow inherently corrupt. Now, we just have to get this out of the way. That's absolutely ridiculous. Ones are the most principled people out there. They're the best people we know. In fact, I'm just like, you're better than you need to be, so go do something bad. Like, say some curse words. Or like, <laughs> go watch an old Adam Sandler film and actually let yourself laugh. Like, just <laughs> let yourself off the hook. Like, because you really are better than the rest of us and better than you should be. But this fear is 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 a... Uh, uh, it, man, it's it's fierce. It has this compulsion. It drives ones. Now, if you're a little kid and and you somehow have this fear and you give power to it, if you somehow listen to this lie that you are inherently corrupt, then what do you want to do? You want to overcome that sort of flawedness as a way of number one, showing your those in your early holding environment that you love them, but also proving to them that you're lovable. And, and this is the bummer. Ones really struggle with this compliance to their to their super ego, to their oughts and shoulds. They think that they actually have to earn what they want. You, you don't have to earn this. Everything you've, you've ever really wanted was always there. But nonetheless, ones then double down on compliance to expectations, to, to rules. And, and, and what ones begin to do is they begin to look to a protective caregiver to say, well, could you show me what the rules are? Could you show me what's expected here? And what they're doing on a subconscious level is saying, because I'm actually going to live beyond that and live above that. And I'm going to show you that if I know what the expectations and the rules are, I'll be so much better than them that you're going to know I love you that much. And I'm going to be, and I'm going to earn how much I want to be loved. Problem is, is rules are almost always, especially in families in flex, Right. I mean, I'm the oldest of six and and my youngest brother, I can't believe what he got away with. The rules completely changed. Well, if you're a seven, awesome. You want the rules to change. That's exciting. But if you're a one, now that creates a a, a kind of terror within you, which is, shoot, me and my siblings are being treated differently. The rules aren't the same for for all of us. Uh, If the rules change and I don't know what they are, then how can I exceed them? And, and so the one then has to look inward and say, well, I'm just going to set the rules. I'm going to, I'm going to make them unto myself and for myself. And, and now I'm going to be frustrated with myself. And so 
the one idealizes our notion of goodness, which you'll never be able to live into, so that causes frustration. The one experiences a frustration with the protective caregiver. Why didn't you set the structure in place and hold it in place? And now the one, as an adult, will live out of that frustrated idealism, beating themselves up, replaying everything they said and did wrong. It's like, look, if you're 10 minutes early and you're a one, you're probably 15 minutes late. You're gonna beat yourself up for that. And it's like, you have to stop. Like, you are never inherently corrupt. You are always beautiful. And in fact, it is your flaws that make you beautiful. But you see, we live out of these fears and then we have to project them and put them on someone else. So for a lot of ones, some of that work is is healing those that frustrated relationship with a protective caregiver because they were probably doing your their best and, and you were probably doing your best. And that's all we can do. Discovering my childhood wound helped me come to terms the most with my dominant type, which, as we talked about in this episode, I think is a one. I resisted it for a long time because, again, I grew up in a very loving, wonderful household, and I would never have naturally contributed uh, any malice or negativity to the way I was raised. However, learning that that is the way I was going to perceive the world anyway, no matter how loving my parents were, has really helped me come to grips with both the positive and negative aspects of being a dominant type one. There's some really great strengths in there that I can lean into and hopefully help others in the way that I'm created. And there's also some pitfalls that I have to avoid to make sure that I'm not hurting those around me. So I would challenge you, if you're not aware of your Enneagram type and specifically your childhood wound, I would challenge you to do some digging into that. And as Chris talked about, this is really difficult work. It means looking at ourselves in the mirror and being willing to accept reality. And don't expect to get this right overnight. This is a journey, and a journey that's best taken with another person. So if at all possible, please find somebody that you can begin to explore the Enneagram with. But I truly believe that understanding our childhood wounds is a very important part of understanding who God has created us to be and how his strength can be revealed in us. Thanks for listening to the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's happening at Daily Growth, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. Or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.